If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Uh, I'm not so sure what to think about this. As I was down there singing with you all, thinking about coming up here to begin a sermon series in the book of Revelation, I had not thought about this in 30 years. I had a ninth grade football coach. He was the assistant coach. He was the quarterback coach. He was my coach and defensive back coach. And so back in those days, I played quarterback and defensive back in the ninth grade. His name was Coach Nuttall. And he had one little phrase that if we did something stupid or tried something stupid or whatever, he would look at us and say, you must be drunk. Why did I think about that five minutes ago? about to come up and begin a series preaching in Revelation. You must be drunk. Back in 2018, I climbed Mount Rainier. It was a whole lot of fun. And summer of 2021, I was anxious and hopeful to climb the Grand Teton. And in preparation for that, in the spring of 2021, I got connected to a gentleman named Eric Alexander. He is um, a renowned mountaineer, most notably known for his work with folks with disabilities, and most notably known for guiding the first blind man, Eric Weinmayer, to the summit of Mount Everest in 2000. And one. Time Magazine called it the greatest team to ever climb Mount Everest, and Outreach Magazine ranked it among the top five climbs ever. Eric Alexander with Eric Weinmayer, I think is how you might say it, guiding him to the top. And so Eric Alexander in the mountaineering world is a fairly big deal. And I got to talk to him in the spring of 2021. And I told him about my climb of Rainier. I was talking to him about my climb of the Teton, my hopeful climb. And I was going to be in Colorado for a couple of weeks and was hoping to be able to meet him. And if he would, would he take me out on some of the mountains there in Colorado to kind of prepare me further for the Teton. And the conversation was going really well. And as we were nearing the end, I asked him, I said, all right, Eric, I, I climbed Rainier. I'm hopeful to climb the Grand Teton this summer. After that, what should I climb? And he said, well, he, he said, it, it sounds like you're most interested in some of the notable mountains. You know, we got lots of mountains here in Colorado that we could climb this summer, and you could climb at any time. We've got over 50 14ers, and many of them would offer great challenge. And, and I kind of jumped in because I thought, I felt like he was kind of picking on me a little bit that I was just after the notable mountains. And I said to him, I said, Eric, the only reason I, you know, I'm climbing notable mountains is I don't know anything else. And I said to him, I'm willing to climb anything that's fun and a challenge. I actually recorded the conversation. I went back and listened to it this morning. I then said to him, I'm willing to climb anything that's doable with a valiant effort. I don't want to climb something that's doable and easy. I'm willing to climb anything that's doable for a guy like me with a valiant effort. Because of my cancer, 
I didn't get a chance to attempt the Grand Teton, and I don't know what climbing will look like for me in the future, but I thought about that story as I think about the book of Revelation. We're going to climb a mountain. I think it's doable, but it's going to require a valiant effort. So often we avoid the book of Revelation, at least some of us do. We skip past it, maybe we ignore it. I've been preaching, if you will, now for 21 years, have never preached through the book of Revelation. I taught it to our Friday morning men's Bible study. I'll put it in quotes, taught it. That's a crazy context to teach the book of Revelation because at men's Bible study, guys can raise their hands or just jump in with comments and questions. Thankfully, in preaching it, you just have to sit there and listen to me. You can shoot me an email later or get me for a cup of coffee, which I'm always up for. There are challenges, no doubt, difficulties ahead, but by God's grace, that's not going to stop us. And I hope that through our studies, I'll be able to bring to light what is clear from the book of Revelation, reminding us, good reminder, this book was not written to scholars. This book was written to ordinary believers like you and me. What I'd like to do to begin, we're not going to go through a passage of Scripture this morning. I'm going to read a few verses maybe to warm our hearts. But then I'd like to just share with you seven preliminary remarks as we begin our study. If you know anything about Revelation, you know that numbers are used quite often, and they are probably used symbolically. The one number that's used more than any other is seven. It's used 54 times in the book. And so I thought, in keeping with this, I'll give seven preliminary ideas as we begin the series. But to warm our heart, maybe, in chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it for the time is near. Here's a promise to all of God's people that we really don't find this explicit in any other book of the Bible. John says there is blessing to be had to the people of God who will hear the message of this book and heed the message of this book. So, Let's begin. Seven preliminary remarks. Number one is, let's begin with a laugh. G.K. Chesterton is famous for this sentence. Though St. John the Evangelist saw many strange monsters in his vision, 
he saw no creature so wild as one of his own commentators. I got a stack of books in my study right around the corner that high. I got another stack of books this high back at my study at home. The, the stack of books could go to the stealing, right, of commentators on the book of Revelation. No doubt there are many strange monsters that we're going to see in the book of Revelation. He was given a series of visions, and some of these visions she will blow our mind. But as Chesterton notes, he saw no creature so wild as one of his own commentators. I'm not going to be writing a commentator, commentary on the book of Revelation, but by preaching through it, I am going to be commenting on it. So I've added my list to Chesterton's wild monsters. I guess I'm counted among them. As I read his deal this week and pondered upon it, I get this vision of the Apostle John in heaven. Maybe he's got a cup of coffee there, and maybe he's reading through some of the commentaries that have been written on his book. And maybe he's shaking his head just a little bit. Maybe he's a bit frustrated. Maybe he's not just reading books on the book of Revelation, but maybe he's listening to sermons that guys like me have preached and I wonder if sometimes he's not saying, hey, Peter, come listen to this one. Listen to what this guy said about what I saw and wrote. I'm going to do my best to not be terribly wild as one of the commentators. Number two, expect to be disappointed with me. As I have said, I've preached through a bunch of books of the Bible here at Redeemer, and nobody ever has given me any resources to help me. I announced that I was going to preach through the book of Revelation, and I've had a handful of folks come and say, hey, here's a book. Hey, I got a set of notes. Hey, this. Hey, that. It seems to me that many of us, if not all of us, come to the book of Revelation with great expectation and get excited that we're going to be doing a series through it. But I'm afraid, and I want to set the expectation, you're going to be disappointed with me, number one, by my limitations. There is so much to read, so much wonderful things to read about this wonderful, magnificent book. I read terribly slow. I do not comprehend very well what I do read. I've shared that before, and some of you are like, Mitch, you're crazy. I, I remember and comprehend the things that I read over and over and over again. But I get very intimidated about thick books because I know how long they're going to take me to read, and I know that I'm going to read and forget what I just read. So I have to read it again and again and again. Because of that, there is so much wonderful stuff that has been written about the book of Revelation, but I just cannot cover it all. It scares me. It intimidates me, and there's just too much there. And so you are stuck with my limitations when we come to Revelation. Secondly, you'll probably be disappointed with my burden. My burden when I come to the book of Revelation is not 
to set out some calendar of events the way they're going to unfold in the future. One famous pastor over in San Antonio seemingly preaches about this kind of stuff a lot. And he's got charts that go all the way across the deal, almost around the room of the way things are going to play out in the future. A calendar of events. I'm certainly interested in that sort of thing and where appropriate, I'll make my points. But my burden for you and for me is what I think is John's burden. That you and I would persevere in faithfulness to Jesus Christ no matter how difficult things may get. Over and over and over again, John is encouraging the people of Jesus Christ to persevere, to endure, to overcome. And so if you're hoping that I'm going to lay out exactly how things are going to go, if you're hoping that I'm going to identify who the Antichrist is, if you're hoping I'm going to set some date as to when I think Jesus Christ is coming again, you will be terribly disappointed. Third, you'll be disappointed with my interpretations. No doubt, those of you who've been around, you have disagreed with interpretations of mine in all of the sermons that I preach, whether it's through Nehemiah or Acts or 1 Peter or Ephesians. But I suspect that that could be on hyperdrive in the book of Revelation because it's just very, very difficult sometimes to go, what did John mean when he wrote that? And the best of men and the best of women commenting on the book of Revelation come to different conclusions on what that particular word meant, that phrase meant, what that vision is meant to communicate. And so at one point I wrote down in my preparations even over the summer, I almost want to get up here every sermon and say, I want to note at the beginning, Many, if not all of you, are bound to disagree with my interpretation of one, many, or all points this morning. Please remember, though, that I affirm very clearly that this, in this age things will be difficult, that we believers must persevere in faith, and that Jesus Christ is coming again in power and glory that sadly unbelievers will be cast into the lake of fire forever and believers will enjoy life in God's presence in the new heaven and earth forever and ever. I want you to know what I affirm even if you and I may disagree on this or that. And so I think number three follows from that. Be discerning with your dogmatism as I try to be with mine. Dogmatism is when we lay down principles as inconvertibly true uh, without consideration of evidence or even the opinions of others. You will find, I hope, that I will be dogmatic on what is clear. 
regarding biblical eschatology, the doctrine of end times. And I think really there's two things that Bible-believing Christians ought to be dogmatic about when it comes to biblical eschatology. Number one, Jesus Christ is coming back in power and in glory. And secondly, there is a heaven or a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells where God's people will be with him forever and forever. And there is a hell, a place, sadly, where those who have not by the grace of God, trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, they have continued in their rebellion against Him, will spend eternity. I want to hold on to those things tightly. I want to cling to what's clear. But I I want to hold some other things looser. You'll notice that when I personally say, what, what, what things can we be dogmatic about? I didn't say anything about my millennial position. Some of you are going, what in the world is a millennial position? I didn't say anything about my particular take on Daniel's 70th week or the timing of the rapture or the identity of the Antichrist and so much more. I want to hold a couple things real tightly. And be dogmatic about those things. But these other things I want to hold in a little bit looser. Charles Spurgeon, the famous Baptist preacher in London, back in the 1800s, he said, quote, only fools and madmen are positive in their interpretation of the book of Revelation. Only fools and madmen can say, my take on this book is right with dogmatism. Some things I hold tight. Some kind of tight. Some, eh. Right. Number four. Don't count on a pre-trib rapture of the church or traditional dispensational pre-tribulational premillennialism. Good night, Mitch. What are you talking about? Some of you might know. I want to say, don't count on a pre-tribulational rapture of the church from me. And I want to say, to you, don't count on a pre-tribulational rapture of the church. That was the view that I grew up on. It was the view that I was schooled in. And for those of you who may be like, what are you talking about? It's simply this. That it's the the belief that there is in the future a seven-year tribulation to come a time of great turmoil and great tribulation. And that before that tribulation period begins, the church will be raptured away into heaven. That we will be taken into heaven to be with Jesus before 
the great tribulation comes upon the earth. I grew up on that. I was trained in that. And for a long time, I believed that and taught that. And while I still hope for that, I'm not convinced that it's the best interpretation. I do not think the best interpretation is for us to say, hey, there's a seven-year tribulation period out there, and we don't have to worry about it. We're going to be gone. Nor do I think that we are meant to read Revelation chapter 6 all the way until the second coming in chapter 19 as describing a seven-year period of time that is out there that we're not going to be around for. Phew! Good thing I and you and I won't have to experience that. I think it can too easily turn our study through the book of Revelation into opportunities for curiosity and speculation and the like that don't apply to us. If it's a seven-year period out there that we're not going to be a part of, then our attention becomes academic in these sorts of things rather than life and death interest in God's will for us in troubling times. I also don't think it's wise pastorally. It may well be true. I understand the position. I held it for years, and it may well be true. I don't think that it is, but I don't think it's wise pastorally to say to you, my brothers and sisters, Hey, don't, don't worry about coming hardship. Yeah, following Christ is hard now, but it's going to get really hard. But don't worry, because you and I are going to be raptured away. And we won't have to persevere, suffer, and possibly even die for our faith in Jesus Christ. So, number five, prepare to suffer. I'm not very smart. And I am not, at heart, sometimes I feel like really I am just a dumb jock. Uh, The world's going crazy. And I get asked every once in a while, Mitch, do you think Jesus is coming soon? And my answer is generally always the same. I have no idea. And I'm certainly not going to say, be dogmatic and say, yes, he's coming soon. Other than biblically, he's coming soon, right? We're to live as if he could come at any moment, and he certainly could. I think my burden, though, as I look out and go, the world's going crazy, is not, boy, Jesus must be coming soon, but 
boy, I hope me, I, and the brothers and sisters that, that I shepherd are ready to suffer. I hope we're ready to persevere. I hope we're ready to endure. Because being a follower of Jesus now can be difficult. It may get harder to be a follower of Jesus. And, and really hard to continue in our allegiance to Jesus Christ no matter what the cost. I think and I could be wrong, that there will be a time of increased tribulation, hardship, difficulty, persecution, even martyrdom for many of God's people, that that, that will intensify and, and be increased as we get closer and closer to the coming of Jesus Christ. But I have increasingly come to the, to the understanding of, of, of this portion of the book of Revelation. I could be wrong. I, I got others that they don't agree with me. I agree with them. That what's described in chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, right? The, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, ultimately the bowl judgments, all of that leading up to the coming of Christ. Again, is not a seven-year period out there. But rather, may well be describing the hardship, the persecution that the church will endure from the first coming of Christ until the second. John is told in Chapter, verse, chapter 1, verse 19, write the things which you've seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. The things which you have seen probably refers to the vision of Jesus that John just saw in chapter 1. We'll, we'll look at that over the next couple of weeks. And the things which are are probably talking about the letters to the churches of Revelation chapter 2 and 3, and we'll look into that. And the things that will take place after these things. For the longest time, I, I understood in keeping with, with what I had been taught that the things that will take place after these things, chapters 4 all the way to the second coming of Christ in chapter 19, the things that will take place after these things. That's the coming tribulation, the coming of Jesus, and it's, it's a seven-year period out there. I wonder, though, if the things that must take place began right there in John's day and go all the way until the coming of Jesus. Right, what you've just seen, this vision of Jesus, the exalted Christ. Right, the things which are these particular messages that Jesus had for the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3, and then the things that will take place after these things. John, writing in about 90 to 95 A.D., 
the things that will take place until the coming of Jesus. And from chapter really six and on, it's hardship, suffering, war, sickness, disease, financial trouble, persecution, martyrdom, and the like. Things that God's people have been enduring now for some 2,000 years and things that you and I endure now and may increasingly have to endure and persevere through in coming days. I'm not alone in believing that may be what we're to understand. Premillennialists like Jim Hamilton take it this way. Amillennialist, he's an amillennialist today, Tom Schreiner. He's, a, he's kind of one of my heroes. He's a professor at Southern Seminary, and he waffles just about as much as I waffle on some of this stuff. He was trained in dispensational premillennialism, and then he switched to historic premillennialism. And if you ask me, Mitch, where are you today? That's, I'm a historic premillennialist. Um, he, I'm reading his commentary right now in the book of Revelation in which he is an amillennialist. I watched an interview of him just the other day. He's writing another commentary in the book of Revelation, which he now takes another position I'd never heard of. It's called new creation millennialism that I'm looking forward to hearing about. I'm like, you kind of like me, Dr. Schreiner. Not exactly sure how to understand all of this. But he too believes that the suffering and the hardship and the persecution and the martyrdom that we read about from chapter 6 on is not something out there. It's something that's been going on from the first coming of Christ until the second. Nancy Guthrie and her wonderful little book, Blessed, she is an amillennialist but understands it this way as well. One last thing. This book, in so many ways, is about the future. But again, not a future from John's perspective in AD 90, out there, but a future from AD 90 until the coming of Christ. At least that's the way I'm going to preach it. Unless by the time we get to chapter 6, I've changed my mind. Am I sure about this? No. But we're going to go with it. Number six, a couple more. Keep the purpose, purposes of revelation in mind. Tom Schreiner wrote, John wrote Revelation to churches facing persecution and being tempted to compromise with Roman imperial power and cave into the social pressures of pagan society. He calls upon these churches to stay faithful until the end, reminding them that God and Christ are sovereign over the evil they face. He goes on to write, John wrote Revelation to encourage believers to endure until the final day, 
promising them that they would enter the new Jerusalem if they continue to persevere in faith. Nancy Guthrie, Revelation wasn't written to entertain or to set out a timeline for the future or to satisfy our curiosity about when Christ will return. Revelation was written to fortify Christians to live in the world, endure its harsh treatment and alienation with a firm confidence that this world is not all there is and that, in fact, what may seem like defeat is going to give way to victory. Robert Gundry, the predictive element has the purpose not of satisfying idle curiosity, but of encouraging Christians to resist worldly allurements and antagonism, including persecution to the point of martyrdom. It's not here to tickle our intellect about what's going to take place in the future. It's here to fortify our faith and inspire us to stay faithful to Jesus until the very end. So number seven, be encouraged. I think number one, let's be encouraged because we can understand this book. There's a lot of stuff where we're going to go, you know what, we're not exactly sure what that means. And there'll be lots of places where you'll disagree with any conclusion that I might make. But I don't know the last time you sat down and read Revelation from chapter 1 to chapter 22. There's a lot you can't understand. And there's a lot that is very clear. And there is blessing to be had, and by God's grace, you and I are going to experience it as we hear the message of this book and heed it. We're going to see visions of the greatness of our God. We're going to hear correction from the living Christ. We're going to see insight into the sovereignty of God in the hardships of our lives. We're going to be reminded even as we may suffer, be persecuted, and even die for our faith, we will be reminded again and again that we belong to God and that He will be with us and take us through the worst of times, even through death, and we will live with Him forever and forever. We will see incredible promises of a future glorious salvation for the people of God. We've titled the series, He Reigns, and indeed, He does. Christ has died for His people, paying for their sins. He has risen from the dead. He is alive right now, and one day He will return. He will return, and as chapter 11, verse 15 says, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and forever. Close with this. Nancy Guthrie, her hope, I thought, Yes, this is mine as well. 
if when we finish this study, we can explain every symbol, identify every Old Testament allusion, trace every connection, but are still intimidated by the world's opinion of us, still enamored with the world's wealth, still attracted by the world's comfort and pleasure, then we will not have truly heard and kept its message. We will not have truly understood and embraced the book of Revelation. My goal is to open up this text to you, taking away the intimidation or fear factor. I want to focus your attention on the Lamb, standing as though it had been slain, to help you listen to the voice of Him who is faithful and true, to encourage you to open the door to Him who knocks, to challenge you to welcome the authority of the King of Kings, to invite you to pull up a chair at the marriage supper of the Lamb, to direct you to find your home in the new Jerusalem. It is my goal to cut through the confusion and help you see the beauty, the hope, and help that is uniquely presented in this book. I want to focus your gaze on the glorious Son of Man and to instill in you a determination to overcome the world. If you want to be drawn into the worship around, I want you to be drawn into the worship around the throne I want you to feel the relief that someone has found wor- was found worthy to open the scroll. I want you to sense the reality of the judgment to come to all who refuse to become joined to Jesus Christ, as well as the relief, the rest, and the reward to come to those who belong to Him. I want to help you see this world for the Babylon that it is, so you'll be motivated to flee from it to the new Jerusalem, where God Himself will make His home with you. I want you to get goosebumps because you can almost taste the food that will be served at the marriage supper and can almost feel your tears being wiped away and can almost see the eyes of your Savior looking into yours as you finally see Him face to face. I realized something as I've been studying Revelation. We begin our study of this book thinking that our biggest challenge is going to be understanding it, and it isn't. The biggest challenge is opening ourselves up to the adjustments in our lives that this book calls for. Yet, this biggest challenge is also what promises the greatest blessing. So let's work our way through the book of Revelation, stopping at every step along the way to consider what it means for us to hear and keep what is written in it so that we can anticipate experiencing its promised blessing. By the grace of God, I'm going to climb this mountain. It's going to take a valiant effort, and I'm asking you to grab your pack and climb along. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we began singing the lion of Judah, who indeed is the lamb that was slain. From Revelation chapter 5, the reminder that our Lord Jesus Christ is the lamb of God 
who took away the sins of the world. He died in our place for our sins. He shed his blood by which we are washed clean. We remember him. We thank you for him. And he reigns. Having died and rose, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. He reigns and he rules now. And one day he will come again. Power. Glory. To abolish wickedness. To vindicate his people. And to make all things new. We can't wait. But until then, we must overcome, persevere, endure. We can with the strength that you provide and with the hope that your promised coming engenders. So Lord, as we study Revelation, would you help me to understand well, to explain well, to preach well? Would you help us all to have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to Redeemer Community Church? Help us to hear it Help us to heed it and by it experience the blessing that this book promises. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ is coming again. Help us to live in light of those amazing truths to His glory, to His honor, forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.